0: All right. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't get that first service. No, I'm just kidding. First service was way more gracious than they should have been. Um, All right, so it worked last time. I'm just going to pretend that we're all just here and there's no one watching online. And uh, this is my second sermon, so we're good, right? We're good. Um, Yeah, I just want to obviously thank God um, for just everything... uh, that he's prepared along the way, but really, just want to thank my wife for helping me just just prepare, um, pick out clothes for me, and uh, you know, just guide me through common sense things. I'm, I'm very practical in nature, right? So I was practicing this the other day, and uh, I was getting so parched, and I was like, okay, I better drink some water. And then I thought, well, what if I just wear a camelback and just just drink? And then she talked me out of it. So. Thank her. She is a good portion of uh, how this came about with many influences. And I just want to recognize that even before I begin, um, thinking about this time and thinking about um, preparing this, I thought of Jeff quite a bit, Um, how he prepares it. God has used him to influence my life in the short amount of time already. Um, If we could pull up the first slide. I think that Jeff, you're watching, buddy. All right? Okay, you did the giant shark, Jaws. Okay, that was a little too scary for me because, you know, I'm delivering God's words. So, this is a tribute to James and the giant peach for any of you who didn't get it. But this is James, right? Faith will result in a life of love. So, I thought that was uh, kind of funny, a little bit more relaxing. Um, I didn't really prepare too many things other than a giant shark. No, I'm just kidding. So, so, yeah, and the, um, the amount that Jeff uh, has prepared certain things, I find myself going through. He uses a lot of quotes, obviously, so I had few to choose from after he went through them all in the past couple weeks. Just kidding. So, I'd like to begin with prayer. So, Lord, we just thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. We ask that you reveal your word to us, Lord. Help bring clarity to this passage in James, whether we have read it a hundred times or for the first time today, Lord. I just pray that your word will minister to us, Lord, that would reflect in the transformation into the image of your Son. Amen. So, uh, this should come with a disclaimer that I'm not adding anything to the gospel. This is not... You must do this and then that, right? Paul, in his letters, made that very clear, but I need to make this very clear. There is nothing else added to your faith that is needed. And quite honestly, this message is mainly directed to the Christians that have claimed their faith in Jesus. But for those that haven't, and those that could be watching online, um, I would also pray that this would bring some clarity into James, for your observation of the Christians around you, and then ultimately propel you into a saving faith. So I stand before you today ex- extremely humbled. I, um, I preached this message to myself in the past couple days, specifically yesterday, while I was riding my bike, and God was uh, just laying it on me. I'm extremely convicted by my shortcomings and false objects of hope and faith. Many people are influenced uh, by Jesus in, in, um, many people have influenced me, I should say, using uh, God's word, and I praise them for that. Pastors, friends, brothers, sisters, my father-in-law, Troy, Tim Westcott, Jeff, obviously. Other friends, my buddy Chris, that helped edit a portion of this. Um, I, I can't thank you guys enough. God working through you to help me. I am, I'm grateful. But ultimately, this is all for the glory of the Lord. right? I'm simply a sinner standing here before you, saved by grace. And might I add, we talk about And the Iwanas and youth group and all of that. The kids, the unchurched kids that are in the community that we're trying to reach with the gospel. Some are coming from difficult situations. Some not so much. But regardless, they still need to hear the love of God. I was one of those kids out there in the community. I grew up here. It's my home. Now I stand here today before you. Pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, that's the power of what God can do. It's all to him. So, enough of that, right? This morning's teaching will be in the book of James, as I said, uh, verses uh, chapter 2, 14 to 26. Now, hopefully, this, this sermon does not disappoint everyone who thought this was going to be a super deep theological study in the book of James. Obviously, I'm picking a high theological topic. And uh, I must have some goal in mind, something really extravagant to teach you guys. Um, and it's actually quite practical. <laughs> okay, So this study was intended for the youth some weeks from now. And uh, Lance had brought that up in an elder meeting and say, Hey, I need someone to say, Oh, yeah, I got that. As I started studying, as I went on reading God's Word, this isn't just for the youth. This is something that IBC needs to hear. This is something our church family needs to hear. So this very practical message, um, I pray that will bless you. Now a little history in the book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus. Right? James was a leader in the Messianic Church in Jerusalem, and during that time, James lived through famine, poverty, obvious persecution, but he was known as a peacemaker. And you could say that the book of James is a summary of his wisdom. In contrast, Paul is writing letters to specific churches. Uh, You know, there's been many sermons on them, right? But the book of James is, is really to be intended for many churches, right? Not just one church. And James isn't trying to preach any new theology. He's trying to challenge the faith that of believers that have claimed Jesus as their Lord. And James has had two main influences when it came to Scripture, specifically the Sermon on the Mount and the Book of Proverbs. And this will be reflected throughout the whole book. And you could say this book has short, challenging wisdom speeches, full of metaphors and one-liners. Lance gave an introduction in his other uh, sermon in, in, in that, but also to the youth as well. The introduction to James lays out many big head topics that I'm not going to go over right now. But chapters two, through the rest of the book, really lay out specific points that James is trying to come across. In the early part of chapter two, he's teaching us a lesson on favoritism versus love. And today, as we dive into the end of chapter two, we will discover what faith in Jesus looks like and what it does not. And if anyone has read chapter three, they know why I'm nervous right now. Yes. So I'll possibly ask more questions today and give answers to them. So the first question is, IBC, what is the object of your faith? What do you mean by that, you might ask? Well. My old college professor back in North Carolina in the mountains would say, well, I believe in the mountains. OK, so if we simply take that, the object of his faith is the mountains. Pretty easy, right? Object of his faith is the mountains. I believe in the mountains. How does that work out? Anyway, so I go on. Let's, uh, let's look at the past two years. Not that we really need that review again, but in the perspective of faith, you might have seen or personally experienced trials in your life that expose your faith. Trials that expose where you place your faith. Some of you are told you're going to be homeschool moms or dads and your faith was tested. Some of you lost a job or had your career put on hold, and your faith was tested. Some of you had divided relationships between friends and family, and your faith was tested. Some of you had members of your family pass away, and your faith was tested. Some churches had their associate pastor pass away. And their faith was tested. And we have all been challenged recently. Pastor Jeff, Christina, and others that we love in the community that are battling COVID. And our faith is tested. So now, I'm going to be reading through James in its entirety of 14 through 26. So read along with me, we have, uh, not read along with, but let me read it to you. What good is it, in verse 14, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is it? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along by his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead." Whoa, this is the verse I chose today? Wow. Why? I'll get there. I'll get there. This is the struggle. We read verses that a person is justified by works, and we immediately think, wait, what? That's a contradiction of the Gospel. We know this. Go into Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Also in Titus 3, 5 not by your works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. Do you guys remember when Pastor Jeff went over this before so clearly? Sole fide, right? Meaning justification by faith alone, part of the five solas. At first glance, most Christians would like to look at this verse and want to read it Read James like they are reading Romans. Some commentators have stated, do not confuse Paul's teaching in Romans and Galatians with the book of James. Paul is addressing a particular teaching that would propose it's possible to achieve acceptance by God, or justification, by keeping the law. And in a very powerful argument, Paul destroys any hope of that. Look at the example in Romans 3.27-28. through Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. By law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And the second example in Galatians. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Other theologians say Paul and James are in complete agreement and there is no contradiction. This is a little difficult when reading all these commentaries, I have to be honest. So many strong viewpoints. Jeff did a great job a couple of weeks ago presenting two sides of an argument with that. I have a quote from a great, uh, great accent, I should say, J. Vernon McGee, right? But he says it so simply, I love this. It says, Paul and James do not stand face to face fighting each other. On the contrary, they face back-to-back fighting opposite foes. Yes. I don't know about you, but that helps me so much to visually picture that. So much of our division sometimes we think we're fighting ourselves, and really they're just enemy from two different sides. Paul is welcoming those in by grace and stating doctrine that is absolutely true. It is not by our works. Those verses made that very clear. James is doing the opposite. He's encouraging those to continue on, not stay stagnant. You've been saved by faith. Move on, Christian. Be encouraged. James is bringing to light a different danger for the Jewish Christians. Some might call it cheap faith. Faith that could be doctrinally logical, but does not lay command to the life of the person that possesses that faith. One more time, please. Okay, all right. Faith that could be doctrinally logical, but does not lay command to the life of the person that possesses that faith. This passage in James is stating that theologically sound faith, absent of loving obedience is not true faith in Jesus. In an application of this, It'd be a little self-righteous of us, or extremely self-righteous. To use an example of, say, a hypocritical Christian in this town, we could easily point out and say they don't have any fruit. It would be no better than the Pharisee in Luke 18. At the end of that, in verse 14, it says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Instead, IBC, I challenge you, We need to challenge ourselves. Have I made my faith cheap? Do I hold to a belief, but not living it? Okay, a little bit lighter now. Now here's a quote from a famous theologian. I'm going to let Jeff guess what Bearded Wonder said this. Faith of itself could not contribute a penny to salvation but it is a purse which holds a precious Christ within itself. It holds all the treasures of divine love. Yes, Charles Spurgeon. That was for you, Jeff. To help us see this more clearly, another similar example in grace would be a danger that Dietrich Bonhoeffer would also call cheap grace. Notice the similarities as I read the quote from Bonhoeffer. Cheap grace is a preaching of forgiveness without requiring of repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living incarnate. IBC, are we at danger of possessing cheap faith or cheap grace? Or maybe it'd be better put, is it dangerous for us to want comfortable, easy faith? Faith that does not cause us to live out what we believe. Now let's look back at verses 14 through 17. What good is it if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking... In daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body what good is it you see there's an analogy here in that verse if you were to confess flattering statements to the needy but not address the person's need then faith that is a confession but does not lay claim to its life is dead faith there's been some really great quotes that I've pulled and used, and these theologians are, are brilliant. I, I try to just come up with something very simple, right? So here it is: "Faith will result in a life of love." That's it. Faith will result in a life of love." And there's three verses I want to go through that will explain that where that came from. Matthew 22. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and prophets. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Simply put, God loves... Sorry... Love God and love your neighbor is the fruit of faith. Matthew 7. As Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree that bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus you'll recognize them by their fruits Matthew seven sixteen through 20 and the last one in first John beloved I think you guys know this one let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God so faith results in a transformed living a living out of the great two commandments. Some, some pastors and speakers have uh, tried to do the accent of J. Vernon McGee. I'm not going to do that. So just imagine in your head a really cool southern accent, right? And the quote is, Faith is the root of salvation. Works are the fruit of salvation. Faith is the cause of salvation. Works are the result of salvation. Now, in the rest of the passage, James lays out for us three supporting cases, or arguments, that claim this faith in God. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Here James is showing us the need for fruit comes from faith in Jesus. Our whole understanding of the first commandment is that there is one true God. Anyone go to the WANAs the past couple of weeks? They did the hand signals for each one of the ten Commandments? I'm not going to do the other nine, because I just know the first one for right now, the hand signal that is. And then that there is one God, right? The unseen God and His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Yes, even the demons believe and shudder. So, so what is James arguing here? That believing in the one true God is not important? No, no. He's arguing for the inadequacy of being doctrinally logical, but not having a life that professes that type of faith in Jesus. Paul Tripp has a great quote. It says, good theology is not an end in itself. Good theology is a means to an end. You see, if you have a theology that does not cause you to live out your faith, is it good theology? Or do you have a good theology but choose not to live it out? Difficulty in that. So let's read on in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? James is getting more heated in this, if you notice, you foolish person. Would not want to be called a fool in addressing a letter. But wait a second, I'm confused. Didn't you just say Abraham was justified by works? The same man that told his wife to go sleep with Pharaoh to save his own skin. The same man that said, she's my sister. The father of faith. Yep, that guy. Same Abraham. But just keep reading. Let the Bible defend itself. In verse 22, it says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. The key verse in that, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. See, It's a long story there for Abraham. Before he went up that mountain, he was radically changed by God, transformed with a very, very small amount of faith. But that faith allowed Abraham to love God with what was most precious to him, his son. Here's a quote from Calvin, I believe. Jeff might have used it. I think he used most of them already. So again, faith alone saves. But the faith that saves is not alone. I cannot help but think of Abraham in that example. So now we'll read on in James' final example of Rahab. In verse 25, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, for as the body apart from the spirit is also is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So what was it that Rahab did? Wait a second, Jeff went over this in a sermon months ago, right? Do you guys remember? Picture Rahab, it was like a cartoon, and it was funny because she had like blonde hair and looked totally different. And he's like, "Is this Rahab?" and It's funny how kids' books can make things look a little bit different than the reality that it is, right? But anyway, Rahab had heard the great stories of the truth of God. Save the children of Israel. Move mountains of water. Did the unspeakable. And she did this all from a culture that was wicked and perverse. And she endangered her own life for the love of others and love of God. You guys see the connection there? Love of God and love of others. These two examples, Abraham and Rahab, it compels them. It's beyond motivation. It's a purpose. James concludes these two different examples in a similar story that this faith will result in a life of love. Now I'm going to have to pause here because uh, this next one's a little bit more difficult. We sing songs. Lord, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. We should mean what we say when we sing that, right? I pray that for this sermon specifically, Lord, give me your heart. I, I don't want my opinion coming through. I don't want my biases, but Lord, show me, show me, Lord, your heart in this. And I struggle in how to exhort IBC specifically, specifically on the topic of faith. Because you see, on one hand, I see the most beautiful examples that result in a love for others. When I see meals being prepared for the sick, you love. When I see volunteers served because they care so deeply for not only the people inside this building are watching on screen, but they care so deeply for everyone in this community, you love. When I see leaders in the church step into difficult situations because they see a need. You love when I saw ushers in the very back of the church months ago lift up Dan Marion's leg because he did not have the strength to put his own leg on the wheelchair they did not do it for self-glory They did not do it to be recognized. They did it because they loved him. They loved Barbara. And they loved God. When in recent weeks we hear and see an outpouring of prayer and support for everyone suffering and battling the things that are going on in this church family, You love. You love. That was the easy part. You see, on the other hand, when we hear about judgments being made towards one another, about what they should or should not be doing, you do not love. When we allow worldly views to come into this church, and divide us, you do not love. When we place ourselves above others, you do not love. We all need this correction, and might I remind you, I had preached this to myself before, so as much as I am saying it to you now, I've said it to myself and deeply convicted. But why? Why do we need to be this way? Because we represent Jesus to the community of Idlewild, a community that we love, even when they don't love us, even when they speak evil, talk down, etc., etc., etc. We need to love. See, church family, there is much more at stake than we realize we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Him. So in this last verse here, you will know this in John thirteen thirty five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Idlewild Bible Church I will ask you again. What is the object of your faith? Or maybe it would be better said too, is how much faith do I need to be saved? Difficult questions. But they're not really difficult. You guys know the answer. Any amount of faith will save you if the object of your faith is Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this this morning. Um, I just pray that, Lord, these, these words, Lord, and James, it can seem rather difficult for us to hear. They're not contrary, Lord. They're not contrary to your message. They're exhorting us. They're moving us forward, Lord calling us higher, Lord. I pray that we can see the opportunity to love one another as we love you. In Jesus' name.